like for you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to John chapter 12. That's where we'll start. I've called this the latest news, a second return of Christ. The people were not expecting this. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. John the Baptist said that. But as the opposition began to mount in Jesus' ministry, and it started right away, uh, Jesus didn't start out slow. He started out quick and fast. And the first thing he did in Jerusalem is he walked into the temple and he cleaned it out. He dumped over the tables of coins. He emptied all the pigeon, doves, sheep, and everything else and drove them out and cleaned it up. And he said, you've made my house a den of thieves. Now, what do you think that did to the ecclesia? What do you think that did to the people who were in religious control? They thought it was horrible that someone would come in and just clean out the temple that took years of tradition to build up. So opposition occurred real quick. And they said, they wondered by what authority did he do these things? So Jesus' ministry started out on a high note in one sense and a low note on the other. But opposition, like a snowball, just kept increasing. And now we come to a point in Jesus' ministry where we find that he healed a blind man and a deaf man who was demon-possessed. And the people then took a look at their leader, religious leaders, and they said, is this man the Messiah? Is he the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? And here was the religious leaders of the country's answer. No, he's not the Messiah. He casts out demons by the prince of demons. That is the ultimate rejection of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit is the one who generated his miracles and the Holy Spirit is the one who aided him as the son of man, being called and attributed to the son, the devil. The ministry of Jesus changed almost immediately. No longer did Jesus preach the kingdom is at hand. There's going to be a change of paradigm. There's going to be a change of venue. Things are going to change. And Jesus now begins to go to his last trip to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. And on that trip, we see he starts uh, during the, uh, he, he goes through the, going to have the triumphal entry. But as he goes through the journey, we notice some things taking place. For example, Jesus begins his last journey to Jerusalem, which will climax on, on Palm Sunday. A large crowd follows him from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. On the way to Jerusalem, he meets two men outside of Jericho who are blind. And they call him, Jesus, have mercy on us. You're the son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus heals them. Furthermore, he gets into the city and there's a tax collector and we all sang this in Sunday school. If you went to Sunday school, Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed the sycamore tree. 
Now, Zacchaeus was a notorious cheating tax collector. And he, Jesus goes to his house with great criticism of the crowd. Don't you like that about Jesus? He was a friend of all. And he, uh, as a result, Zacchaeus says, okay, I've been converted. Anybody I've cheated, I will pay fourfold. Then Jesus hears the word that his close friend, Lazarus, is sick. And four days later, Jesus gets to the town of Bethany just outside of Jerusalem, and he raises Lazarus. In John chapter 12, verse 9 to 11, we read, The large crowd of Jews, when they learned that he was there, that's Bethany, and they came for, Je for Jesus' sake, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Can you imagine that? The guy's just been raised from the dead, now they want to kill him. These are the religious leaders. There's been a lot of sin that has been done in the world by the, in the name of religion. A lot of sin and a lot of death and blood has been spilled because of religion. Take a look with me at Matthew chapter 21 now, verses 1 to 11, for what takes place now. I want to show you this morning that Jesus knew full well what was going to take place in Jerusalem. And he knew full well what was going to be at the end of the age. And he knew full well that the kingdom would not be established as he proclaimed at the beginning of his ministry. In Matthew 21, verse 1, we read, When they approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there, and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. Now if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has needed them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken of, through the prophet, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is predicted 400 years before Jesus, this event ever happened. So you know the stories. Jesus sent down there and get this colt and get the foal and bring them to me. Now, if you're sitting there and across the street and watching this event, you say, who are these people coming down here and taking this colt and this donkey? And when the question is asked, you say the Lord is in need of them and they'll let it go. Now, nobody knows exactly what arrangements, if any, were made before this. But this was to fulfill a scripture. Notice that scripture is also given to you in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. He says, and Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now the rest of the verse in that passage in Zechariah is kind of interesting too. There's 2,000 years difference between verse 9 and verse 10. Here's what verse 10 says just for your information. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and, a, and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Between 9, Zechariah 9, 9 and verse 10 are 2,000 years or more. Almost 2,500 years. Verse 10 has not been fulfilled at all. Verse 9 has, in the day of Jesus was there. So the disciples, go back to chapter 21, verse 6. Chapter Matthew 21, verse 6. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought them donkey and the colt and laid their coat on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. Others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. This was a custom reserved for kings, for rulers. It's the red carpet treatment. When somebody comes who's a VIP, we spread out the red carpet from them and from the airplane or car or wherever, they walk on the red carpet till they get where they're going. This is that kind of treatment. And so we read, the crowds are going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're shouting from a Psalm 118, a messianic Psalm, praising him as the king of Israel, the Messiah, the Meshua. He's the Christ. Just take a peek at uh, this. I have it on the board for you. It's Messianic Psalm. Here's where they were quoting, from which they were quoting, verses 25, 26. O Lord, do save, we, be, we beseech you. Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now that little word, do save, see it in there? In the Hebrew, that is Hosanna. So what are they saying on this Sunday, this Palm Sunday? It would have been nice if you had a decent preacher who was orderly, he could have preached this on Palm Sunday, but it didn't work out. So I preach it as is. The point here is saying, save now. Save us from the Roman Empire. You're the king. Blessed are you in the name of the Lord. Quoting this psalm. And they're all the way down. I don't know how long that is. Some of you walked it a few months ago or a few weeks ago. You walked that past. I'd say it's over a half mile. Shouting this. Now you have the mountain of uh, all of it over here. And you have the temple over here. And they're coming around the mountain and they're going down to Kidron Valley and they're coming up to Jerusalem. It is a place where you could hear this shouting. And from the temple in Jerusalem, you could see them coming down, this mob coming down. 
We read then from this, the prophecy of Jerusalem's destruction. As Jesus walks down the hill, we have to go to Luke to get this. It is not recorded in Matthew, but it's recorded in Luke. In Luke 19, I think I have the, it's on the board. Some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You know what they're calling you? They're calling you the Messiah, the King of Israel, the Deliverer. That's what they're calling you. Jesus answered, and he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. If they don't say anything, the very stones that make up this street will cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as he approached, he saw the city and he wept over it. They're shouting for joy. Jesus begins to weep. And here's what he is saying to the crowd. I, don't, I doubt they caught it. He said, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. He takes us back to a prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, where after 69 weeks of prophecy, they have been fulfilled to the very day. I'm not going through that whole prophecy, but it's well worth it, let me tell you. If you would have known and studied the scriptures, you would have known this day, literally this day, was the fulfillment of Daniel, 70 weeks of prophet, prophecy, at least 69 weeks. This is the fulfillment of the 69th week. Now this Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That's what Daniel said. Daniel wrote 500 years before Jesus was born. And he predicts this very day. And here's now Jesus continues that prophecy. And he says, for the days will come, shall come upon you when your enemies will throw a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because... You did not recognize the time of your visitation. All right, guys who were in Israel, you saw the place. Did you see the stones on the streets? Yep, you did, didn't you? They're still there. When the Roman general Titus in 70 AD leveled the city, he left only a foundational wall, the West Wall, known as the Wailing Wall. He left it, he did not destroy that because he wanted the world to know that he destroyed Jerusalem. Now, still there, still destroyed. On top of the Temple Mount does not rest a, a Jewish temple. Rather, you have the Mosque of Alqua and you have the Dome of the Rock up there, both Muslim. I asked, him, I asked a guide, 
Why didn't they in a six day war just take over the whole thing? And he said, you gotta remember that uh, Moshe Diane and Holda Meir, the, they were atheists. They didn't give a rip about that. And they didn't want a holy war. But there's more to it than that, I think you'll see if you study prophecy. God didn't want that up there. He's gonna come back and build a temple. They're gonna build one in the meantime at some point, but he's gonna build it later. So 40 years after Jesus marched in Jerusalem, that day, the city was leveled. What's interesting is the Jews didn't wanna give up anything, so whatever gold and silver they had, they melted and poured it into the cracks of the temple. And so when the Jew, Roman army came in, they tore that thing apart and gathered all the gold they could. Now let's go back to Matthew 21, verse 10. Matthew 21, verse 10. When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? Who is this that's coming in with this entourage? And the crowds were saying, this is Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Notice what they stress here, Nazareth of Galilee. Remember what Philip said when he was introduced to Jesus? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So Nazareth is stress. Can any good thing come out of it? Jesus begins his journey now, which climaxes here. And the Lord puts the joy of this entry into perspective when he too quotes from the Psalm 118. Here's what Psalm 118 verse 22 said. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Blessed is he who is coming in the name of the Lord. And later in that psalm, it says, that stone will be rejected. They're not quoting that. But it's all part of that psalm. Now, in verse 12 of chapter 21, we have a prophecy concerning the Messiah's second coming. First of all, when he enters Jerusalem, notice where he goes. He goes to the temple. Jesus entered the temple. This is the second time in his ministry and cast out all those that were buying and selling in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He does it again. He started out his ministry this way and he ends up this ministry this way cleaning out the temple. Notice what he says. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Oh, that was popular. That went over big. You made it, you're making this a robber's den. This is not a house of prayer. In the meantime, while he's there, before he's put on trial and arrested, he heals people who come in and he preaches in the temple during that time. I want you to note something else. Just flip over to, uh, I guess I got it on the board. But flip over to Matthew 23, verses 38 and 39. I want you to notice a change in uh, pronouns here. 
In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 38, we read this. Behold, now whose house is it here? Your house. Remember he said you made my house a den of robbers? Now he's saying, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For almost 2,000 years, they haven't had a house. There's been no temple. There's been no place of worship for 2,000 years. All you go to Jerusalem, if you want to see the temple, the best you can see is the foundation of Herod's temple, of Zerubbabel's temple, of Solomon's temple. All three of those temples, there's nothing but a foundation. It's desolate. He predicted that. And it happened 40 years later. Now, Jesus gives his discourse, and uh, uh, he goes on the Mount of Olives one night. And when they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, if you've been there, you know, you, you can see this pretty clearly. You're on the Mount of Olives, you've got the Kedron Valley below you, and you look, and there's Jerusalem. First thing you see is the Temple Mount. And so you can see what's going on. Now, Herod rebuilt the temple, and it took him 46 years to build the temple. And it's amazing just looking at the foundation and some of the stones, how in the world did they get this multi-tonnage of stones fitting together, beveled, and made a beautiful building. In fact, the people said when they looked at it from the Jordan Valley, when they looked up there, it almost looked like a snow cap because it was so brilliantly white. So look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came out up to point out the temple buildings to him. Lord, look at these beautiful temples. You're going to have this temple. You're going to be the king. This temple is your temple. Kingdom is at hand. It's going to be established. We're going to rule and reign with you. Here's your temple. And he answered in verse 2 of Matthew 24. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. Okay, you've been to Israel. Is this true? Yes. It's true. In fact, what you go to see is the ruins. Still see the blocks of stones thrown on the street below. Amazing. But true. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What's going to be the sign here? What's going to be, when will, when will this happen? Now Jesus uh, predicts the destruction of Herod's temple. Matthew does not record the answer to the first question. 
when will these things be? But Matthew records the answer to the second question, which is, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Okay, I'm going to tell you what will be the sign of my coming and the end of the age. Now, Christ's second coming will be preceded by turmoil in the world. This is predicted by David, Daniel rather. He gives us the timetable when these will happen. Okay, turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, 27. It's in the Old Testament, verses 26 and 27. If you're in the Psalms, you've overshot the runway. Land a little sooner. And in the minor prophets, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Daniel 9, 26 and 27. Then after the 62 weeks, plus nine given earlier, after the 62, or rather seven, I'll get my math straight. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. When Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, did he have a kingdom? No. In fact, when he ascended in Acts chapter 1, the disciples say, will you now establish your kingdom? It's a pretty pointed question. You know what Jesus said? Not for you to know the times and seasons. But go into all, you are witnesses of me, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. A whole change. A whole paradigm change. As I said in Sunday school this morning, you don't come to the temple anymore, which you had to do from Moses three times a year. You don't come to the temple anymore. You go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the commission to us of this age. We don't go to Jerusalem to worship. We're worshiping here. And Jesus said, wherever I am, two or three are gathered together. There I am in the presence. Jesus is here today. You believe that? Yeah, he is. The Holy Spirit's within you. There's nothing sacred about this room. We're all temples of the Holy Spirit. We who are built. And here we're here to gather to glorify God. And when we leave, this is an empty room. When you drive by and somebody says, that's your church? You say, no, my, our church is scattered all over. From Hastings to Beaver Crossing to Stromsburg to Sutton. It's all over. Grand Island. We're gathered here on Sunday morning. The church is here. Otherwise, this is nothing more than a building of brick and stone. You and I are temples of the Holy Spirit, and we gather together. The Lord is here. We can't see him. We don't feel him. We know he's here. Why? Because it says he's here. Right? He's here because it says so. So he said, the sanctuary and its uh, will end with a flood 
even to the end. There will be war, desolations are determined. Now when the Messiah is cut off, there's going to be war, there's going to be desolation, there's going to be everything in the world. Israel is no longer the favored nation in the world for this period of time. She has been set on a timetable. Romans 10 and 9, 10, and 11 tell us that God will take Israel, graft her back in as she was once before. Now, in verse 27, Daniel 9, he will make a firm covenant with many for one week, week of years. In the middle of that week, he'll put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering, and on a wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Sounds a little complicated, but if you break it down, it isn't quite that bad. Go back with me now to Matthew chapter 24, and let's pick it up at 6. Pick it up at 6. In verse 6, he continues his discourse and he says, You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not the end. That's where we are. That's where we are. If you're interested in world history, pick it up from the time of Christ till now. Um, Jerusalem has been conquered over 80 times. Think of the wars that we've had since then. I, I, uh, I was born, actually, I know you don't think I, I'm this old by any means, but I was born before World War II. It started when my sister was born. She was born a year later. Sorry, Maureen, but I had to throw that in. I, I, so I was in World War II. I don't remember much about it. We were living in Los Angeles, and I remember just barely the blackouts we had because they thought they saw a submarine uh, at San Pedro, and they blacked out the city. I remember, do remember very distinctly the day the war, they declared the war over in Japan. People, uh, we lived not too far from factories and they blew their sirens and people ran into the streets honking horns and just uh, excited that World War II was over. 48. 51, we were in Korea. Got rid of Korea and the next thing you know we got the Cuban Missile Crisis, remember that? Wasn't long after that we were in Vietnam. We're in Vietnam, and then shortly after Vietnam, we're in the Middle East. I had a son who served in Saudi Arabia with the Air Force. We, uh, we're out of the Air Force. We're in Croatia. We've been in Afghanistan. We're getting ourselves mixed up in the Ukraine. And we have this other thing going on in Taiwan with China. And many people think we're going to bump heads eventually with China. Maybe we will, maybe we won't, I don't know. Would you say today the end, this is the end of rumors and wars? 
I had a lady tell me a couple months ago, I was visiting her and her husband. She said, oh, we're going to have a great revival. Going to get better. I said, have you read Matthew 24? Have you read Revelation? This was a period, age of grace for believers, but it is an age of turmoil. Nations have risen and fallen. I remember standing on the coast of uh, Caesarea on the coast and they were talking about a, uh, how the, the crusaders and there's a big crusader castle there. And the guide said, they haven't been, the crusaders weren't here very long. They were only here 400 years. 400 years? How long have we been a nation? Do you know? 200 some years, right? And we're almost ready, almost seeing the decay of it. You can't kill 70 million people. And you can't have laws to change gender and get away with it. You can't. This may land me in jail. But Romans 1 says the judgment on a nation is homosexuality. Read it. We're there. We're there, folks. And I pray there is a revival. And I pray that people would get interested in the Word of God. They had a revival in Acts chapter 19 at Ephesus where people came out of the city and burned their books and the silversmiths who made idols were so upset they had a major city meeting wanting to get rid of these Christians. And who in the world is opposing the abortions and the gender changes? It's the Christians. Why not just get rid of them? You see that happening? Yeah. I do. I think it's time you better base yourself for a change as we see the climate. The, the nation was founded on religious freedom. And God blessed this nation. And now it's squeezing the truth. It's almost reversal. I'm sorry, but I have to pronounce that in light of the speech Monday night. Look what he says. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom in verse 7. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. What happened last week? I mean, uh, I've been in uh, third world countries and I've seen how they built their homes. And to stand a seven point earthquake and have it shaking violently. Stuff just crumbles. Just uh, uh, stones turn to dust. I, uh, I, I have a funny thing, I, ritual I go through every morning. I uh, check the USGS earthquake thing. I, I look at all the earthquakes every day that have occurred the previous 24 hours in the world. You know what? This is a shaky world if you start looking at it. And we see four-point earthquakes, five-point earthquakes. It registers everything from 2.5 up. 
If you were standing on the earth and you had a 2.5 earthquake, you might feel it. But it grows exponentially. And I've, the strongest one I've been in is 4.9 earthquake. And boy, let me tell you, you know it's there. I was in a restaurant and it hit and people yelled, get under the table. It was after the uh, north uh, earthquake in the uh, north part of Los Angeles. It was an aftershock. And I mean, the guy sitting next to me, we were interviewing a guy potentially for a associate pastor and we were sitting there, it was on a Sunday at noon and we were sitting there and the guy sitting next to me from Kansas City, Dan said, I thought a car drove in this building. Is that loud? Folks, if you ever really wanted to get serious about the Lord, now's the time. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Quit fooling around and put your faith in Christ and live for him and witness of his saving grace. There's not much time left. And here's what he says. They will deliver you into tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all the nations on account of my name. All the nations. I have a little book called... Uh, the Masters something Academy uh, has a devotion written by all the uh, missionaries who are around the world who are training men and for the gospel's sake, natives, nationals. And a lot of them, it'll say, the article, the author, it'll say, Bill, Middle East, name withheld for security reasons. That's probably, uh, I would say, almost 30% of the names in that book. You know, why are they getting away with it and we're not? I mean, let me put it the other way. Why are we getting away with not having that kind of persecution and they're not? You know, I, sometimes I think we're wimps. Somebody, when we witness and they kind of put up their nose at us, we quit. Or something should be said for the Lord, we just... Why? What did Jesus do for us? Continue. False prophets, verse 11. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Is that true today? I mean, you don't have to go very far to listen to these guys. The majority of churches in the, in the world are off base. And, and, and verse 12, and because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Well, what's a big thing in running for the country? Will somebody do something about crime? Will somebody take a murder that commits a murder and, and uh, make him live his life in prison? Whatever happened to capital punishment? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. Now he's already got us in the book of Revelation at this point, if you read the book of Revelation. Revelation chapters 1 
through 3 talk about the church. Revelation 4 and 5 talk about you and me being in heaven in a great worship service. And Revelation 6 to 19 talk about God, the 70th week of Daniel where God overthrows the usurpers of the world, overthrows Satan's kingdom bit by bit by bit. First by the uh, curses or the breaking of the seals, the second by the trumpets, and then by the bulls of wrath. And by the time these seven years are over, two-thirds of the world will be wiped out. then Jesus will come to set up his kingdom. Now, you and I are before all this. You and I are before all this. We'll get into that later. But Jesus is predicting this to these people. Now, look what he says in verse uh, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let him who is on the housetop not go down to get the things that are in his house and let him who is in the field not turn back to get to his cloak. But woe to them who are with child, to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, even now. It's even worse than the Genesis flood. How bad can this be? And yet some people think it's getting brighter. I'm living here. I enjoy life. I've enjoyed, I've had a great life. If, if I were to go to heaven at this very moment, you can say, he had a great life. I'll tell you that right now. I've had a great life. Ups, downs, whatever. I've enjoyed life. But man, I've lived in a world and I've seen a lot of changes. Now this abomination of desolation that stands up is when the Antichrist, who is predicted to come, Satan's image in mankind, when the Antichrist rises, he rises slowly. He gains power over the world through political maneuverings. And he becomes the one leader of the world. And he goes to Jerusalem and he stands in the newly rebuilt temple and claims that he is God. That is an abomination of desolation read by Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. When the Jewish people see this, you get out of town and you get out of Dodge quickly. If you're working on your roof, you get out and you head out of town. Don't even go in your house. If you're working in your field, scram. Pray that your journey will not be on the Sabbath because of all the Sabbath laws in Jerusalem. Pray it won't be in the winter because it's just harder to travel. But leave. 
Then here's what he says, verse 20. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and powers of the heavens will be shaken. And here's the answer to the question. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. That's why he says earlier, if somebody says the Messiah is over here in the desert or over here in this temple, don't you believe it? Because when the Son of Man comes, every eye on earth is going to see him. They're going to see him. He's coming back. Let me tell you, every nation on earth will be destroyed. Every nation. Millions will die. And those that are alive and remain who still love the Lord at that time will be ushered into his kingdom and the rest will be sent to hell alive. And then the kingdom will start with a brand new king, with a brand new government. And the lion will lie down with a calf and the curse of the earth will be lifted. And people will play in the streets. And people will enjoy their own living. You know, you'll be able to go out and make a garden and grow everything you want to eat. And then it will be that blessed that we all would long for. That's coming. What about us? We're going to be in that kingdom too, not as citizens. We're going to be in that kingdom as the bride of Christ, ruling and reigning with him. That's our destiny. And John chapter 14, 1 to 3, Jesus tells us the change. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for what? You. That's heaven, not the kingdom. I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again. I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where you am, where I am, you may be also. That's our comfort. That's our hope. Those who have preceded us in death are waiting for us to join them. And looking forward to the day that we'll be with them in the air. I am too. Let us stand for prayer. While we're standing for prayer, I'll ask the deacons and elders to come and prepare the table for us. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts. Thank you for the blessed hope and assurance we have in Christ. As we stand here, Father, preparing to take a communion service May we search our own hearts. And if there be sin and bitterness in our heart, may we confess it. And, tell it, and Lord, help us to have the courage to go straighten it out if we need to with another brother or sister. 
Bitterness is not becoming to any of us. Eats us like cancer. So Lord, help us to resolve those issues. And any sin issue that we have, some dirty habit, Lord, help us to lay that aside. Help us, Lord, to live for you as the Holy Spirit prompts us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.